Hey, welcome to Sea Road Online. So glad that you've joined us. Hit our subscribe button on YouTube or follow us on Facebook. Whatever platform that you're using, turn on your notifications, click that church bell, and that way you know when uh, we're on again. Today, we're going to be sharing in communion at the conclusion of my message. So be sure to have some bread or crackers ready, as well as some juice, so that we can participate together in the Lord's Supper. Now, two weeks ago, I told you about my belief in miracles, and specifically healing miracles, and that I've been the recipient of miracles. So I want to elaborate on that today, specifically that God still heals. Now, I mentioned that I'd been healed of arthritis, which was in my right knee, as well as asthma. I also mentioned that my wife had been healed of carpal tunnel. God has been so kind to reveal his healing power in many ways. Well, I have another incredible story. This one's from 31 years ago when God miraculously healed our infant daughter. Uh, she was about four months old and had developed some type of eye allergy and she would rub her eyes all the time so that they were rubbed red raw. And uh, we were, of course, very concerned. She, as an infant, uh, wasn't able to control herself. And we really believe the scriptures in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, which says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will made will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. Well, we believe that. And so on the Sunday, we brought our daughter uh, to the altar at the front of the church and we had a number of people uh, pray for her, anoint her with oil. And I was really believing for her healing. Well, Monday came and still no healing. Her eyes were red as ever. She still kept rubbing. Tuesday, same thing. I was getting quite disappointed because I know that God uh, has the power to heal. Well, Wednesday, three in the morning, my wife and I, we bolt up uh, out of our bed because there is a light coming through our bedroom window and the sound of uh, what seemed like a helicopter. We were terrified. We lived uh, in a two-story home. Of course, we were in the upper story and I thought a helicopter is coming through our window. We're dead. And just like that, it was over. So, of course, I jump out of the bed, I look at the window, and I'm looking to see if there's some helicopter in the distance, and of course there isn't. No sound of fading blades. Uh, we have tree limbs, we've got hydro wires. It's obvious a helicopter wasn't there, even though that was precisely what we thought. I get back into bed, and Julie says, what do you think that was? And I say, I have no idea. Who knows, maybe it was Jenna's healing. And with that, we went, we went to sleep. Well, of course, in the morning we get up, jumped to see Jenna in her crib and all the rash is gone. There's no redness, she's not rubbing anymore and she's healed and never again to have any type of eye problem. Um, so we were just floored. Uh, our miracle finally came. So on the Sunday, we of course testify in church. We tell everybody what happened and this dear lady after service uh, spoke to my wife and she said, do you know what that helicopter sound was? And Julie says, no. She said, well, I've heard that that's the sound of angel's wings. And, and that confirmed for us the healing. Now, we have been privileged to have experienced many miraculous interventions in our lives 
proving that God still heals today. But you know, I haven't been healed of everything I've prayed for. I have other conditions that bother me even today. Why God heals me of some things, but not others, that I don't know. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge to my thinking, to my beliefs and my attitudes. And that's what I want to talk about today. Miracles are for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus as Messiah. You know, my daughter wasn't healed as an infant because of my great faith. Her healing is for God's glory. I have faith to believe for all of my ailments, but I've only been healed of a few, not all. My healings are for God's glory. And you know, my sufferings are for God's glory as well, because there's no lack of faith. So let's look at our attitudes about healing when we encounter it and when we don't encounter it. And I wanna talk about a man who had been blind since birth and the attitudes and the discouraging mindset of his culture. But you know, before I talk about that, I wanna send out a shout out to our artistic team. Many weeks before any of us moved into physical distancing and isolation, our artistic team had already created some incredible panels to illustrate some of the miracles that we're talking about in this sermon series, The Miracles of Jesus. Thank you, Margot, and your team uh, for the amazing artwork. Well, today's message, it comes from John's Gospel, chapter 9, and the first three verses say this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So right off the bat, we are dealing with a prevalent attitude in Jesus' day that sickness, incapacity, physical ailments were a result of personal sin. For them to say, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. In their minds, someone had to be at fault. Someone was personally responsible to have to explain away his blindness. In their minds, this man deserved to be blind because it was a punishment for some sin in his life or he was bearing the punishment for the sins of his parents. I want to ask you, has that attitude ever plagued you? Have you ever asked the question, what did I ever do to deserve this? Have you ever had the thought, God is punishing me because, and then you fill in the blank, because of the abortion that I had, because of the adultery that I committed, uh, because I stole from my parents, whatever the fill in the blank is. You know, the unfortunate reality is that many people carry the attitude that our ailments are punishments from God for some sin that we've committed. Well, it's an attitude that's as old as time from the looks of things, but Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, the lover of our souls, he brings correction. This man wasn't born blind because of personal sin. He didn't do anything to deserve blindness. He is not being punished for his parents' sins. You've got it all wrong. Now, when Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, you got to keep it in context. He's not saying that they never sinned, that they were perfect. Obviously, they weren't perfect. What he's saying is that this man's blindness isn't a punishment for anyone's personal sin. Check your attitude. Check your theology. You know, years ago in my first pastorate, I had a dear saint come to me for prayer. 
And she said, you know, Pastor, I haven't been able to sleep. I haven't been able to sleep for a week to 10 days. And, and I've been examining my life. I'm t trying to see if there's any sin in my life. And uh, I said, well, okay, let's pray. And so a number of us gathered together uh, in prayer at the altar. It was in the Sunday service. And I had this thought. Now, I don't know if it was from God himself or just something that I remembered. But I said to her, hasn't your husband started a new job? And she said, yeah. And I said, now, isn't that requiring him to work nights? And she said, yeah. I said, so he's not sleeping with you anymore. He's not in the same bed. And you guys have a water bed, don't you? And she said, yeah. I said, I don't think your sleeplessness is from any personal sin. I think you got to adjust the water in, uh, in your water bed. So she did, and of course, uh, everything uh, was fine after that. I want you to check your attitude about why you might be suffering. It probably isn't a punishment from God. Now, one author, he said it this way, the suffering, pain, tragedy, and hardships that we face in life provide the opportunity to see the glory and power of God displayed in our lives. That's certainly the case for the blind man. You know, we live in a fallen world. Blindness, sickness, harm, it comes to everyone, not because we are deserving of punishment, but rather because we suffer under the curse of universal sin. The miracles of Jesus, they point to him as the Messiah, the punishment taker, and he gets rid of it all eventually. At the end of time, everything bad in this world will be done away with. Personal and universal sin will be gone. Now, luckily, we get a foretaste. Thankfully, we get some examples of eternal health and relief from the stain of this world. And so Jesus continued to correct their attitudes. Let's look at it. Uh, it's verse 4 in John 9. As long as it is day, Jesus said, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus declares his identity as the light of the world, and he confirms it with healing miracles. Now, he doesn't heal people to impress anyone. It's not self-serving. His miracles are to point people to the truth, that he is Messiah, and that they can enjoy eternal life by believing in him. He is on a rescue mission for eternity, not just a rescue mission from sickness and, and blindness and the like. You know, the instances of healing are to correct our attitudes about God and about humanity. We are not unwell because we're being punished for sin. Let's continue in verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And then he said, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. Well, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So there's a lot of interesting things happening here. Jesus, the light of the world, is working on behalf 
of his Father in heaven. He's doing the work of the one who sent him, namely to point people to heaven, to relationship with God by believing in Jesus. Now, he could have just touched the man and made him well on the spot. He could have just spoken a word and he'd made him well. After all, those were some of the ways he had done it in times past. So why spit on the ground to make mud, to put on the man's eyes and, and tell him to go and wash? And I had this thought. Do you ever wonder if maybe a person's obedience becomes a door through which they are healed? Humbly going somewhere that the Messiah tells you to go, in humility, following the instructions of the Messiah to yield the reward of healing? You know, being a person of faith requires us to exercise humility and obedience, to admit our need of a savior. That's the humility part. And then to obey his instructions. I will believe you. I will follow you. And that might explain why Jesus instructed the man to go and wash to a place that was called sent. We are all sent on our own quest for healing or for discovery of who Jesus is. We are gonna to come to that again at the end of John chapter nine. Now recall that this man's blindness was not a result of his sin or that of his parents. His deficit was an instrument to a physical healing on earth and to a forever healing in heaven. So when we speak about attitudes of healing, you know we can get into some terrible accusations from one view saying that it's a counterfeit act of the devil to another view that says it's entirely dependent upon one's faith and a whole bunch of views from all over. Jesus himself, he endured terrible accusations. One commentator points this out. The immediate context of this healing is an argument in John 8 between Jesus and the religious leaders about who exactly Jesus was. The leaders accused him of demonic possession, of being a Samaritan, and of being of illegitimate birth. Now, by the end of Jesus' discussion with these religious leaders, they knew exactly what Jesus was implying about his identity, and they attempted to stone him to death for such blasphemy. Now, Jesus spitting on the ground and putting mud in the man's eyes would speak to the Pharisees as well. When we quote from the Talmud, which represents the religious traditions and teachings of the rabbis of that day, there is a tradition that the spittle of the firstborn of a father is healing. So this act of Jesus was to reinforce his argument that everything he said about himself was true. When Jesus healed the blind man with mud mortared with saliva, he was in effect saying to the religious elitists, I am who I say I am. I am the firstborn son of my father, whom you claim to know when in fact you're sons of the devil. The tension was certainly building around Jesus at this point in history. We read on in John's account of the mess of what people thought about the blind man's healing. You know, talk about some attitude checks. The religious authorities, they didn't like that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, that he was gaining a following, and they even didn't care too much for the healed man himself. In fact, they threw him out of the synagogue. Let's look at it, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. 
Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Imagine that. The miracle got people talking up about Jesus, and it certainly revealed their attitudes. Now, the Pharisees, they badger his parents, and they put anyone out of the synagogue who acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to skip down to verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, well, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. If ever there was a need for an attitude check it, here's a great example. They maintained the wrong belief that his blindness from birth was because of his sin. And it's here where the light of the world, this miracle-working healer, finds the man. Jesus sought him out. He went and found him. And then he further reveals his own identity and brings salvation to the rejected in society. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus' rescue mission is for people to gain heaven. His miracles are for that purpose, to let all know that he is the Messiah. And any judgment that he proclaims is against the arrogant and the disobedient. You know, earlier in my message, I asked, do you wonder if maybe a person's obedience becomes a door through which they are healed? Humbly going somewhere the Messiah tells you to go, in humility, following the instructions of the Messiah to yield the reward of healing? This blind man with mud on his eyes, humble and obedient, he's the opposite of the Pharisees, arrogant and disobedient to the instructions of the Messiah. It's an amazing picture of the irony of blindness. And so Jesus concluded that moment with this. Jesus said, 
For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were there, they heard him say it. And they asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus corrected his disciples at the outset that blindness wasn't an indication of being guilty of sin. Neither the man nor his parents sinned. That uh, it's not physical, uh, what physical blindness indicates. And by the end of the encounter, he declares it plainly to the Pharisees. Blindness doesn't make you guilty of sin. Whatever your ailment, whatever your suffering, it isn't a punishment from God. True blindness is claiming that you know it all, that you uh, act like a Pharisee, that arrogance and, and disobedience prevent you from calling out to the Messiah for the help that you so desperately need. The difference between this blind man and the Pharisees is that he called out for help and he followed Jesus' instructions. I pray that you do likewise. And you know, it wasn't that long afterwards that Jesus gathered his disciples together to tell them how he was going to get rid of sin for good so that no one would have to retain their guilt. And when they figured it out, they didn't want to hear it. His death would be the means of salvation. And so on Jesus' last Passover, he instituted what we now know as communion, the Lord's Supper. So let us celebrate the way that he taught us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's share together in the bread that you've prepared at home. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's share the cup. You know, 200 years before Jesus sacrificed himself for us, the prophet Isaiah revealed this truth about the coming Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. The miracles of healing are available to us even still to point us to Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Messiah. Let me pray for you. God, you have taken away our blindness and we're so grateful. You have opened our spiritual eyes. And so Father, I'm asking for all those who are watching uh, any who do not yet know you, that they would adopt that attitude of humility and that they would follow you in obedience 
and surrender their lives to you. And Father, I also want to pray for those who need a physical miracle. By your stripes we are healed. And so Lord, as we share this special communion time, I'm asking for your healing virtue to touch our viewers, O King. Those that need a touch from you, would you grant it? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.